so with United 93, we finally get to 9-11, and I think the first question to start with then is, where were you when you first heard about it? And obviously it would have been grade school, but just like exactly when and where and how that kind of played out for you. I was eight years old, uh, so I was in third grade, and I don't really remember that much about the actual day. I mean, you probably have a, a way better memory of it than I do. I remember being like in class and like one of the other teachers came into our class and said, you know, oh, there's like there's been a attack on on New York or something. And I don't remember. I have a memory of watching like TV news, but I don't know if that's a real memory or I'm just putting that back in my head from just seeing, you know, news footage of 9-11 so many times over the years. But yeah, I, I mean, I remember going home after school and uh, my dad was in the National Guard at the time. So he was like, he had come home early from his other job was like getting all of his stuff to go to to McConnell, you know, because like every base was like on, you know, the highest force protection condition oh, right. possible. And I I think he was actually gone for like a few days. Like he was like sleeping in his, in his office and stuff there. But yeah, I don't I don't remember too much about it. And I didn't really know. I don't think I really even was familiar with like what the World Trade Center was or what the Pentagon was when I was that age. True. Um, I I'd almost certainly seen you know pictures of the New York City skyline, but I I didn't know that those two towers that that was what that was. Oh, I think I was even only peripherally aware of what they were too. I just oh, is those are those the two, the two tall ones? Or you hear about the Empire State Building? So yeah, I probably didn't even you know at twenty one years old or whatever didn't necessarily even know that either. Yeah, and and I I certainly wasn't old enough to understand like the impact or the uh, ramifications. You know the the ramifica- ramifications of of what exactly was going on or the the severity of what exactly was going on. Because, you know, I was I was an eight-year-old kid, so... <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for me, the equivalent at that time would have been... I was probably about third, fourth grade when the Challenger space shuttle exploded. Sure. And even yep. then, just kind of only being, again, peripherally aware of what a big deal it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's horrible, but, like, you don't you know... Have, no fair reference. You have, like, a... Yeah, you have, like, a a distinct, you know, memory and distinct experience with like pre 9/11 America. Oh, Whereas for me like right. yes, I have I have memories that are pre 9/11, but I don't I didn't really experience They're not the context of pre 9/11, right? Exactly. I I didn't experience necessarily a pre 9/11 America because I was 8 years old when it happened, so basically all of my any formative experience or memory that i've had has been in a post 911 america right um, interesting which and that that kind of goes to show like exactly how you know important this kind of moment in history i mean it's it's a very distinct split it's almost like a modern bc ad split that's a good way to put it and i i think i've been thinking similar thoughts heading into this episode and that's probably a better way to put it that I had come up with because it's beyond just the attack in the United States. Obviously this is, it's a worldwide split as far as yeah. before and then after, and just kind of an eye opening thing of obviously there have been terrorist attacks before and since, and this one just kind of 
I think just the shock value and the magnitude was just eye-opening to the whole world. Even those, keep in mind, it's obviously just a small, small group that were in support of this happening, but you know, e- even changing their worlds as well. Um, for me, I was in my final semester at Wichita State, but I was I had I didn't must not have had class till later, or I think it was a Tuesday, right? I don't think I even had classes maybe that day. But either way, I was I was still asleep because I was college kid. Yeah, because I mean, and and that that was the other thing too is I I have you know memory like it's hard to kind of differentiate like did I really experience this or is this just like seeping into my memory from other sources? But I I think it would it would have had to have been early in the morning because it was uh, no, I think right. the first the first plane. Well, we see that in the movie here that like, it's early in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm and and even with the time change, so. United or United States, the Central Time Zone right. would have been an hour behind. Yeah, an hour behind, and I think the first plane hits at just about it was like half past eight New York time, so it'd have been like seven thirty or or quarter to eight. So yeah, but it, I mean, obviously, it was well after that before anybody knew it was going on. But yeah, I do remember it being like an early morning thing. So what's interesting too is, so my mom had must have. I don't know if she had first block planning period or something, but so it was, you know, right around 9 a.m. Central, give or take. And so she had actually, school had already started for the high school. She had run back home. This was kind of becoming a thing in the news. She wakes me up and I'm pretty sure she said, hey, we're under attack. Something just hit New York City or whatever it was. So, and then I, so I turned on the news and... I think for the longest time, I remember seeing the video of the second plane hitting, and then in my mind, I didn't know if I was actually seeing it live, and they were showing the smoldering first building, and I saw a live second building hit, and for a while, I thought that was possible, but the fact that my mom said, we're under attack, and then you combine with what we see in the movie here, that probably wasn't known enough yet, so it was probably a replay. Right. It it wasn't until the second plane hit that people kind of knew what was going on, because it after the the first when the first plane hit it was it was all it was being covered like it was an accident correct although man timeline wise though if the second plane was at 928 central man that i if i did see it not live it may maybe my mom was wrong maybe she did you know what i'm saying so it is still possible i guess if you know my mom didn't understand what was going on and just said I don't know. Again, your your memories become vague, and what is it? What was the actual yeah. memory, and, and what what have you inserted into your memory after the fact? Right. And and how many times have we seen nine eleven footage over the year? I mean, definitely every every anniversary they right, are always showing right. footage, but then countless times, you know, in movies and just you know, living in the United States after nine eleven, you see that footage all the time. And then also that day in particular they're showing footage of the second plane hitting over and over again and replaying it and showing everything from different angles. And so, yeah, I mean, how much is our actual memory and how much is just like inserted stuff? And in my cynical college view at the time, when it basically almost immediately got branded 9-11, you know, maybe in the following year, but I remember thinking that, oh, I don't want to say overblown, but just the idea that so something like Pearl Harbor, we still would recognize, you know, decades after the fact. And for some reason, in my mind, again, probably still being in my early 20s, I still lack the context to realize that this was that big a deal that it would get Mm -hmm. named and have this lasting cultural and worldwide and historic impact versus just being an event. And obviously, 
crappy things happen all the time and I didn't you know why did this cross the threshold and in my mind I was a little cynical that it needed to be named in such a way yeah but here we are you know 19 years later and no obviously and then you also look at the numbers there was more people killed on 9-11 than at the Pearl Harbor attacks so yes it was a bigger attack so of course it's going to have the staying power historically right. and to the point now that how many people can even name the date of the Pearl Harbor attacks. I mean, I'm sure you can, but as far as the general population goes, yeah, it's, it's a little harder to do. Of course they weren't named after their date, which does make it trickier, I guess, even if you are aware right. of them. But even that is it's, it's framed in the context of the bigger world event of world war two. Whereas this, it, it stands on its own as right. this hugely influential day. Right, and it did lead to other conflicts, but those conflicts don't have the worldwide weight of the Second World right. War. Right, and it's it's almost it's almost the opposite. So Pearl yeah, Harbor exactly. is framed as like the you know as this this beginning this inciting incident to the overall event of World War II, whereas the global war on terrorism, war in Afghanistan, war in Iraq are framed as just like aftermath events following nine eleven. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that kind of dichotomy there. Now, so the film itself, I thought, takes a very interesting approach, and I'd be curious how it, I mean, it holds up, but I'd be curious how it would be viewed by someone, say, several decades in the future from now who doesn't have the context of what's going on. It's almost like it kind of assumes the audience is aware of the September 11th attacks, obviously. Well, I think some some historical events maybe that's a kind of a reach, but I don't I don't think it is for this movie. Oh, I, definitely not now. I'm just curious. You know, say you know, 80 years from now, does it hold up as well? Or I, I'm just, it still be would you still educate yourself and you would still understand? I yeah. guess by the end, but at the beginning you'd probably be more confused. But it was, but I think it's still compelling. That's kind of my point. Is I think it will hold up, and that I do think it'd be compelling even if you were a little confused at first, 80 years from now, watch, watching this. And the point of view is very interesting, too. So kind of cut ahead here. So the United 93 is the flight that did not hit its target on 9-11 because the passengers basically were able to not necessarily overpower completely, but cause enough havoc within the plane to make it right. crash prematurely in a field yeah. to where only the people on the plane were killed. And it was kind of like a, it's almost like a, a bridge too far moment for the hijackers because the rest of the airplanes are able to be hijacked before anyone really knows what's going on. But I mean, we're, we're talking, it's, it's nine 30 in the morning when United 93 is hijacked and American flight 77 crashes into the Pentagon at nine 37. So it basically the final aircraft that actually reaches its target is crashing at the same time that this flight is being just hijacked so it's almost like uh with an hour to go right right and and so everyone's able to kind of get information and figure out that okay this is part of a bigger overall thing and um because before this pretty much any aircraft hijacking was done you know terrorists would hijack the plane will release these hostages in exchange for insert demand here Um, we saw this in munich when we talked about munich After the Munich attacks, there was a Lufthansa flight that was hijacked, and they released the crew in exchange for getting the uh, Munich attackers released. So that's, you know, that kind of played a significant role in 
the people on these on these flights likely had had no idea well they definitely didn't have any idea what was about to happen but they probably didn't even consider that they were that the hijackers were going to use the aircraft itself as a weapon versus you know hey if we just stay calm and don't aggravate the situation at all maybe they'll you know we'll get let go eventually or the authorities are going to storm the plane like we'll be fine that's a good point how it was basically two existing forms of terrorism that people were aware of suicide bombings were already a thing and hijackings were already a thing but right. it never crossed anyone's mind that they would be combined and they would hijack a plane to turn it into the suicide bomb right and the fact that there was the delays on united 93 are basically what prevented it from multiply hitting its target as well because they would have had that yep. same Oh, I guess plausible deniability, or that, or there's probably better ways to say that. But basically, the passengers would be hopeful in a way that they lost once they started hearing what had happened to the other planes, and they knew that their only chance right. was to land it themselves and try to take over. And yeah. I think in my mind initially, too, even having seen this movie before, I think I kind of thought they hit the point where, like, oh, we know for sure we're dead, so we might as well make sure these guys don't accomplish their goal. It's like, no, they still had some right. hope that, no, 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 if we can take... These guys are trying to kill themselves with the plane and us on it, but right. if we can get them out of the cockpit, we have a chance to land it and live. Yeah, because they had... There was one guy who was, like, a who was a pilot. There was another guy who was, like, a, had spent time as an air traffic control guy, so they... Had they had enough altitude and enough time to actually get control of the aircraft they they might have actually been okay and it's it's like extra shitty watching this movie because like you know it's a true story and like mm -hmm. you know exactly how the story ends but i don't know if it's just like me personally having this like wishful thinking watching because i've seen this movie several times but every time i watch it it's like you still have that little bit of like oh man maybe maybe they're gonna make it this time you know maybe they're gonna be able to carry out their plan and and succeed and obviously it's you you know going in that they're not but because it's made like so many other movies that that's the exact plot right and you'll even kind of talk about you know oh well in this movie why did the heroes always win or whatever it's like because they don't make stories that they don't make movies about the stories that don't end that way and here's an example yeah. where they did and it's tragic i mean it, basically it's apollo 13 if the shuttle blows up i mean it's just right it takes you through all those same beats of here's how we're going to win the day and they don't win the day and yeah yeah just tragic beyond belief but again as far as perspective goes i do think it's an interesting way to look at the 9-11 attacks because you only see a few different parallel or like settings i guess so you have the plane itself and then you have basically all the different levels of air traffic control and military response, yep. but you never go to the other planes. Right. You, you never go to politicians, really. It's all just the air traffic control in the different places and the military, specifically the military, yep. like the Air Force, who can put the planes in the air, you know, get the jets in the air to do something about it. Yeah. And that's it. And it's it's such a different story dynamic following it from this point of view, because there are other there's other obviously other 9-11 movies um did you watch the miniseries um the looming tower no I with uh jeff daniels i have not seen that so it's a it's based on a book it's actually really it's a really good book it basically goes all the way back to like the 1940s it helps you understand kind of like the formation of al-qaeda itself and then goes into oh, okay the lead up to 9-11 so it's, it's based on that book but it follows fbi and cia intelligence 
guys and like them trying to combat al-qaeda and kind of figure out what their plans are and so in that movie 9-11 it's it happens and you're like oh man like they saw it coming the whole time and it's like this major like personal failure moment for all the characters but when you look at it from the point of view that united 93 does no one knows anything about what's going on that's almost the theme of the movie is how disconnected yeah. all these agencies are. And it's like if they could just right. communicate better, maybe yep. we could maybe not, not stop this. But, man, this response is just a mess because no one knows what's going on with the other agencies. And you see it. You see it a ton of times. So, like, they first basically figure out that American 11 might have been hijacked. And then there's the plane crash into the World, or into the, the World Trade Center, the North Tower. And they don't immediately connect those dots right away. And then... The second plane hits and they say, OK, you know, this is probably this plane and this plane that we lost contact with. That's probably those two flights. But then like 15 minutes later, like, no, that American Flight 11. Yeah, someone made contact with that plane. That plane's still up in the air. They're like, Whoa, well, then what plane hit this tower? And then there's the whole thing about uh, when they initially scrambled the fighter jets, you know, basically pre 9-11. If you are scrambling fighter jets, it's to you know, deal with some threat coming from over the ocean. So right. they like immediately just started going east. And the guy's like, why are they going east? He said, well, that's that's their default heading. That's right. where they go when right. you scramble them. Over the ocean, right. Right. And just, you know, so situations like that through the throughout the home, just this, it's chaos. It's complete chaos. Which was the goal of the terrorists. I mean, chaos exactly. was the goal both that day, but then obviously, I mean, basically... They accomplished their goal. I mean, their goal was our reaction. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like they were going to win some war against us. It wasn't about that. It was about disruption. I mean, that's what terrorism is. We've talked about it before with, you know, Battle of Algiers and when the Sheikhs to Barley. I mean, the goal of terrorism is just kind of disruption against the perceived oppressors. It's just kind of weird because we don't see ourselves as Americans as the oppressor. We, and I want to get into kind of the motivations in Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and all that. But from their point of view, they were lashing out against the perceived oppressor. And, and again, we'll, we'll get into bin Laden here, I guess, in more detail. But I also thought it was interesting how the movie didn't have... There's no real point of view character. Even on the flight, you're not right. following one passenger or... It's yeah. al- it's it's almost like... And I don't know, this might sound like super pretentious saying this, but it's, it's almost like they made 9-11 the main character of the movie. That's a good way to put it. There's no big name actors. There's no like protagonist really. Right. Even the the terrorists. I mean, yeah, they're they're portrayed as obviously they're the antagonist, but they you know it's not like there's like the one big bad guy that they're trying to fight. They're just like it's almost like they are just the guys that happen to be doing the hijacking, and that's just something that's happening at the same time as all this other stuff that's happening. Yep. And did you catch that the one was our main guy from Kite It Runner? was the same. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I, I forget the uh, the actor's name, but yeah, the, the main character from, from Kite Runner is like the main, the lead terrorist on, on United 93. So yeah, yeah, just, just a solid, solid movie. It's a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes and a very interestingly nominated for two Oscars, which again, makes sense. It's a solid movie, but for a movie that got a best directing nomination to have only two total nominations, that just seems really, really bizarre and unusual to me. And I, I mean, I haven't looked at like every movie to kind of see how rare that is, but I would imagine 
to get a Best Directing nomination and only one other Oscar nomination has probably not happened much in the last several decades, if at all. I'd be willing to make that bet, I guess. Because no Best Picture nomination, oddly, and it was nominated for film editing, but that directing nomination kind of stands out for a film with so few other nominations. Yeah. One uh, one other thing that I wanted to bring up about the movie itself is I think that it was, and I didn't even I didn't even know this like the first couple times that I watched the movie, but the head FAA guy Ben Sliney is playing himself. Oh, really? He does a really good job then because he seems like an act an actor like in a good way. Like it's like it's he doesn't he doesn't yeah, feel out of place. I, apparently, like there's there's a lot of uh, like a, a bunch of the FAA guys that you see are all playing themselves or they're you know people who are actually faa officials that are then playing roles of other faa officials but so when he walks in and everyone's like applauding him it's it was his first day in that job i wonder what the applause are for that's why he was the new boss he's like yeah so he's like head of operations for faa day one is 9-11 oh my gosh yeah that's true like that that was that was real so he's he is portraying himself as as he was on 9-11 and you know, and then at the end, it, it kind of culminates with his decision to ground every single aircraft, every single flight in the United States. Which, honestly, so yeah, for your first day to make that bold a call and it be the yep. right call, props yep. to him on that. I mean, you, yep. but again, obviously he had the resume to earn that position in the first place, but no, right, right. to make that big a decision and it was the right and call, the, the, yeah. And the, the, the guy that's standing next to him is almost like not really trying, trying to, to talk, talk about him it. Out of, yeah, but he's he's like, that's going to be like hundreds of billions of dollars. Right. And the guy's like, we we don't have a choice. Like we. Right. We're, he's like, we're under attack. We shut it all down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it, it, it and at that point in time, like they didn't know anything other than we have aircraft that are being hijacked. And he, he points the tree. He said, we're at war with somebody. Right. Every every flight has to land right now. Right, because they all could be weapons, and we don't know which one. So just land land them all. Don't let anything else take off. Don't let anybody else come yeah. into the United States. Which I don't understand on the fuel standpoint. They're basically even saying turn away international flights. So a plane coming from the UAE has to turn around. Like where does it go? Like it's going to run out of fuel in it, or do they all have enough fuel to do that? They well, I, I'm not really sure of of the logistics of yeah, all that. Fair. Obviously they're not going to let planes crash. I think that they probably divert, you know, you have to divert somewhere or like you land at whatever. And it wasn't like, Oh, you know, I'm flying this 747, So I need to get to the next like international airport that can accommodate the, it's like, no, whatever runway is the closest to you, you are going to land at. Otherwise we're going to like shoot you down with fighter planes. There were stories gotcha. of, you know, like huge passenger planes landing and these, they're like, tiny little regional airports you know and they're having to like bring out air stairs or like fire trucks because they don't have air stairs that are big enough for those for jets like that so i mean it it really was this like unprecedented move on on the part of the faa to say that every aircraft that's in the air needs to land at whatever runway they can land at right now when that ties into the play i mentioned to you that my mom liked the come from away about the 9-11 plane that lands in the canadian village and mm-hmm. yeah, so basically that I don't know where it was initially intended to land, but it ends up getting diverted to a small town in Canada, even though it was a giant plane, like you said. I always remember whenever uh, my mom talks about nine eleven. When we lived in 
Cheney, which is a small town west of Wichita, Kansas, for listeners that uh, aren't familiar with Kansas geography. Don't don't know right. us personally, yeah. <laughs> Since we're like just west of Wichita, there you know there's a lot of planes flying over that are on approach to the airport, and so you know it was like several times a day to have planes flying over at relatively low altitudes. I mean, not nothing crazy, but just talk about like how those couple weeks after 9/11 when there were no no flights that it was like eerie and kind of weird but it was like not really a thing you could put your finger on but it was because there were no airplanes flying over like Uh throughout the entire day oh huh my aunt and her husband uh i forget how soon after it was but obviously there was that dip in travel they basically took advantage and you know i don't even know how it was weeks or months but it was not too long after 9-11 they were like Mm -hmm. well let's go to hawaii and like so they're like no one at the airports like cheap flights and basically Almost yeah. exactly like what's going on with like the coronavirus stuff, right? Where you right. can get like a flight to Miami for like forty dollars or something, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, yeah, I've been messing with that unsuccessfully myself. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I, I, I saw, I saw 50, like fifty-eight dollars round trip to L.A. But again, what are you going to do when you get there? Like everything's right, closed, everything's right. everything shut down. Yeah, right. Yeah, the other interesting dynamic, too, that I can remember, so I, again, I was in college at the time, so the issue for us is we were all of draft age, and so is mm. there going to be a draft was like the talk during 2002, because I would have been of draft age, and there was, you know, friends of mine talking like, okay, if there is a draft, and you're, you think you're going to get enlisted, you're, you maybe try to beat them to the punch and sign up, they, basically they're trying to figure out like the safest, best way to be, and it was like, okay, if you actually oh, go, right. go, go ahead and enlist in the Air Force before you get recruited right. in the Army or something like that. Right, just like, yeah, like like World War II where it's like, hey, you know, you can get drafted or if you enlist, you can have your choice of service or your choice of job or whatever. Right, exactly. So you're kind of like trying to weigh your odds. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even, I mean. Yeah, yeah you, I you were eight. Hey, you didn't have to worry about that. Could, right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, although, hey, by the time you joined the Marines, we were still fighting a, a lot of the same battles. Yep. Which we'll get to here in many subsequent weeks. But I do want to talk about now kind of the Al-Qaeda side of things and Osama bin Laden. So obviously not long after attacks, Al-Qaeda and bin Laden did basically say, yep, that was us because you guys suck. And I wanted to talk about the motivations. And, and this will kind of tie into what we're going to talk about for probably a few weeks here as we kind of just continue to deal with not specifically 9-11, but obviously the conflicts that follow and just other issues in the Middle East that are kind of all tangentially or directly in some time, in some instances related. And so Al-Qaeda was kind of started by bin Laden. Al-Qaeda was founded in 1988. So it was it was during the Soviet-Afghan War. And, and Osama bin Laden was one of the founding members. Okay, yes. And so I'd always kind of heard that he was, you know, from money, which is true, and was pretty well educated, Mm -hmm. which is true. And from his point of view, it was basically this whole, why is the U.S. always meddling in the Middle East? Yeah. So let's, let's basically fight back against them. Now, at the same time, we became way more radicalized to where even other 
Muslims who would agree with those things that the U.S. shouldn't be always meddling in their way of life or you know whatever they might agree to that point. But he took it way farther and was totally okay with the killing of civilians, including women and children, as as yep. legitimate targets, and that the West is just using them in human shield as human shields if they think we can't attack them anyway. He was also as a as a strict Muslim kind of you know the quote here is. Uh, rejecting the immoral acts of fornication, homosexuality, intoxicants, gambling, and usury is a, a quote pulled from a statement of bin Laden about the evils of the United States. So there's definitely him viewing the U.S. and Western culture as kind of this hedonist haven that needed to be attacked in the name of God and that he right. wanted the U.S. to convert to Islam. Right, and on, and on top of that, you know, they one of his major issues with the United States was the fact that they were buddy-buddy with Saudi Arabia. He didn't like the relationship that the United States had with the Saudis, and he wanted the United States to withdraw any kind of military from there and, you know, wanted the United States to get out of the Middle East, and specifically Saudi Arabia, because that's where he's from. Right, when he got kicked out of Saudi Arabia about the time he was forming Al-Qaeda as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, how a lot of this all ties into, as well, the first Gulf War and the Iraq-Kuwait situation. So obviously there's the, there's the continued decades-long U.S. support for Israel, which is seen as anti-Islamic just because we basically pick sides. And then with the war in Kuwait with Iraq, how there's just the sanctions and just basically how the, the treatment of Iraq was seen as maybe beyond what should have been the scope of the Western forces. Because bin Laden wanted to, he wanted to help the Saudis, like defend Saudi Arabia from Iraq, which Iraq was like, looking like they were going to do when they invaded Kuwait. But the king of Saudi Arabia basically told him like, we don't need your help. We got the US and we got the Western coalition. And that really kind of pissed Saddam, or Saddam Hussein. That pit, well, it did piss Saddam Hussein off because he was on the losing end of that war, but it pissed uh, Osama bin Laden off. He was deeply offended. Yes, and there's actually a Wikipedia page called uh, Motivations for the 9-11 Attacks, and it does it does mention things that are not necessarily intuitive and, and things that, shoot, if anything, the fact that we don't know about them is part of probably what makes Islamic extremists especially angry about the fact that we're not even we're just kind of casually ignoring these things and so it does talk about oh yeah and that's something too which before I say this let me make it very clear (laughs) that I do not condone terrorism and I do not think that anything that happened in the United States on September 11th was good however even if they are not good reasons or legitimate reasons, the people that carried out those attacks had reasons for doing so. Right. Osama bin Laden doesn't think he's a villain. Right. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Right. He's not twirling his mustache. He's thinking he's the he's the hero. Or he's they think, the well, yeah. well, I just hate America just because. Because they got freedom and, and right. stuff. Or they see that freedom as like, or the our interpretation of our freedom, or our manifestation of freedom as... Uh, sorry, our expression of freedom as against their religious teachings to the point that right. it needs to be punished. Which is ridiculous because there are American Muslims. Well, no, like, that's why it's obviously just this extreme sect that was willing to go to these extremes. Right, right. right. 
Yes. But the different attacks, it kind of mentions it. So it talks about, you know, U.S. intervention in Somalia, which, you know, was, deals with the Black Hawk Down situation. And the one I didn't hear of here, it talks about something called the Kana Massacre, which does look kind of messed up. Like that basically Israel bombed some a U.N. compound and killed a bunch of civilians and then basically just shrugged it off and had no repercussions. And so and that that was in 96. So just kind of an instance that went a long way for helping radicalize. I mean, you know, stuff like this happens. That's that's how Al-Qaeda and, and organizations like that recruit is where they see the West doing horrible things without repercussions. And so then someone like uh, Bin Laden comes around and he's preaching this stuff. It starts to make sense to them. And yeah, so again, there's 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 multiple things that led to this, even if they are not justifications. They're kind of milestones along the way leading to a 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And and this is it's also kind of important to include when we talk about 9-11, like all of the stuff that led up to it. Like 9-11 didn't happen in a vacuum. Right. You know, there there were a ton of other like attacks on United States interests and embassies and stuff like in they have the Kobar Towers attack. Even the World Trade Center had been bombed before. In the, like, right, the right. The, the World Trade Center was yeah. there was a, right uh, there was a, a car bomb in the in the basement of the World or the yeah parking garage in uh, in ninety three, and then yeah uh, bombings against uh, U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania in nineteen ninety eight, the USS Cole attack in October of two thousand. So there's yeah just there's a lot of smaller attacks leading up to this too that were all al-qaeda trying to to flex on the united states basically right and then let's see and then so the one other thing i wanted to mention here because again we'll kind of try tread some more ground on this stuff later but uh john stewart comedian john stewart's effort to kind of get restitution so to speak for the first responders on 9-11 and that the numbers yeah. are kind of crazy that more first responders have died since 9-11 from comp- health complications than died on the day lending aid. And just you think about it, it's crazy. We kind of know, obviously, say cigarette smoke causes cancer. But I think we underestimated the extent to which basically one day of inhaling a blown up building is almost certainly going to give you cancer and kill you within the next 10 to 15 years. And it's happened to hundreds and hundreds of people right think of how hazardous it would be to be on like a construction site or or like if you're if you're like remodeling your bathroom right and you're like knocking down walls or something the drywall dust regular dust you know insulation all the things that you would wear a mask obviously you want to keep yourself protected but imagine two skyscrapers worth of that and you're there no mask working for days at a time all that stuff's in the air right and then so John Stewart's efforts particularly was addressing the government's failure to basically pay the medical bills for these people that these, yeah. you know, they're now just spending, you know, years of their life in the hospital. They can't work and they're on their own financially. And it took years. And finally, just last summer, and they finally and the, got it passed. The argument was that and it, I don't think this is a good argument, but the argument was that, well, it's not a federal issue. Because they're they're like city employees, correct. So why why should the federal government, right? And and it, I I think it was it was like last was it last year in his speech when he's talking about like these people like the terrorists weren't attacking 
the city of New York. Like they were attacking right. the United States of America and these people stepped up to help out other Americans. So the, the federal government should should help them out. Right. There's no reason right. not to. Yeah, I think I think I think John's line was the terrorists didn't shout death to Tribeca. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. The the feds were basically seeing it as well, they it was had this is all this is New York. This is New York employees. It's like but yes, it was no, it was an attack on the country. It'd be like if after yeah. Pearl after Pearl Harbor FDR was just like, on your own, Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And just watching clips of Jon Stewart talking about this, and you, and you forget that this dude is a career comedian because he is so passionate about it, and he just he tears up every time, and I'm getting close right now. But just the way he talks about, you know, he's, he did it for so long, he would meet with people and then meet again later, and, like, the people he had on is kind of like, here's a victim that I'm trying to advocate for, well, yeah, they were literally yeah. dying. So he like he, he had five guys on one time, and then five years later, two of those guys are back because the other three had died, or two had died, and one was at home and couldn't make it. Like it was, yeah. it was, it was rough. Yeah, and, and the importance and the impact of it can't be overstated. Like so much, so much stuff changed like forever. Think about right. going to an airport on September 10th versus September 12th. Right. Right. And just just our whole outlook, our whole worldview. You know, other stuff too, like obviously the the war that we've been in for almost twenty years oh, now, right. uh, the the Patriot Act. You know, the as for like you know domestic surveillance, and even like culturally, kind of. I think there's a kind of a, a loss of innocence almost. To your point, an event that happened when you were eight years old. Is the reason when you joined the Marines at how old you went over to Afghanistan for as part of the same mission that started when you were eight years old. So it's just kind of right, and it's still it is still going on today. I mean, there's there's still no Taliban peace deal. There's still no, you know, there's no end in sight really. And that was almost 19 years ago. Right. There are literally, you know, people who are fighting in the war in Afghanistan that were not even born on 9/11. Right, right, because yeah, they're they're past eighteen now. It's been over eighteen years ago, which means those soldiers now could have literally not been born, and that and that's crazy when you think about a World War II lasting six years, even counting you know before the U.S. was even in it, from you know from September first, thirty nine, all the way through the Japanese surrender in August of forty five. I mean, you're just under right. six years for World War II. You know, kind of the end all be all as far as you know conflicts go yeah it's it's crazy and we'll kind of continue dealing with these issues here in future weeks uh next week we're going something it is i guess kind of tangentially related but we're going to deal with the israeli-palestinian conflict and see things from the point of view of suicide bombers in paradise now (laughs) 